If you will, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you'll just hold that for a second, we'll get there in just a second. Message entitled, Five Foundational Facts for the Future. As you know, week before last, and last Sunday, we were gone on vacation uh, to Destin, and I'll just tell you, we had a good time. Some of you on Facebook know that we rode a wave runner. If you want to wonder why I was so crazy and rode a wave runner, it's because with my wife, Tammy, I only had two choices. We could either do a wave runner or go parasailing. I chose... I believe the Bible. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always. <laughs> but we had a great time. But while I was there, I took a, a great time of, uh, for me, it was a great time of reading and study and prayer, personally and collectively, about maybe where we should go as a church, maybe where the messages should go, because I really wanted a word from God. And, and during that week, I read a number of books because I wanted to just to hear from God. And I read one book entitled, uh, it's from uh, Tom Rainer, the, who wrote I Am a Member, a church member. It was entitled Autopsy of a Dead Church, and he gave us 12 ways to make sure our church stayed alive. I read, I reread Ergen Tainer and uh, Mac Bronson's Why Churches Die. I read Tony Evans' um, on spiritual warfare. I read several other books. And then in the Bible, I read First Thessalonians two or three times, Colossians several times, and we'll start some messages from Colossians tonight. I just simply wanted a word from the Lord. Because you see, we are nothing. I want to say this to us. With all our money, with all our resources, with all our uh, uh, talent, with all the things that we do, we're nothing without a word from the Lord. During that time, I thought about when God called me to preach back in 1990. When God called me to preach in 1990, uh, I had some preacher heroes. And I had a lot of them, but will not mention all of them. But one in particular was Pastor First Baptist Church, Houston, Texas. His name was John Bassanio. If you've ever had an opportunity to hear him preach, you were really blessed. I love to hear Dr. Bassanio preach because... I just never heard him preach a message that I felt was not anointed, was not inspired, was not on point. And God called me to preach in 1990, so I watched the old... How many of you remember the old TV show that uh, uh, Southern Baptist put on entitled Baptist Hour? Do you remember that? Yeah. And I used to watch Brother John religiously. Well, fall of 1991, he preached a message with five facts. And I thought, man, I'd sure like to do that. This is where I became a pastor and... A couple of months later, I heard him preach another message that caused me to have some questions. So we didn't have email back then, teenagers. So I had to write him one of those snail mail letters. And I said, would you explain this to me, your position on this? And, oh, by the way, I'm going to be in Houston, Texas, as I was every year, in the 1st of January, and I'll try to say hello when I'm coming by. And I mailed that on Monday before I was supposed to fly out on Saturday well, Friday morning, I left the office to go home and pack, and my secretary called me about the time I walked in the door, and she said, just so you know, Dr. John Bassanio's secretary called you this morning. And I thought, oops, I made him mad. Not the case at all. He sent me word that if I, had, if I was going to be in their services, they, 
They seat about 2,500 in their worship center. They had two services, and he said he would have about 30 minutes between, 45 minutes between the two services to sit and talk with me if I'd like to come talk with him. And so for 30 minutes that Sunday morning, I got a chance to talk to one of my real heroes in the faith. He was so gracious and wonderful. And as we were ending our time together, I said, Dr. Passano, I said, I heard you preach this five facts message back a couple months ago. I would really love to develop that and preach it for my own. This is what he said. He said, son, no, he said, preacher boy, take it, improve on it, use it, and pray that God would bless it because it is indeed God's Word. Now, I'll tell you that story because eight years ago in the fall of 06, I preached this message here. And as I was praying two weeks ago and studying, God brought me back to this message with some, with some renewed thoughts because it's a message that probably a church needs to hear every seven, seven or eight years just for renewal. And he gave me some renewed thoughts, and so I came back and I settled on this. And, and when, when I preached it before, it was called Five Fearful Facts from the Bible. I followed Brother John's titles as I preached it many times, Five Fearful Facts from the Bible, The Perilous. The perils of the religious laws would be another name for it. The plight of the religious laws would be another name for it. But I have felt today that we call it five foundational facts for the future. Because you see, if we don't get these facts right, we have missed all of the kingdom of God. And our foundation will crack and crumble under stress. You see, folks, if we don't come to terms with the facts that I'm about to give you, facts many of you may remember, may know, well, here's what I'm going to tell you. Our future will be short-lived. In fact, if we fail, if we as a church, if you and me fail at these facts, death will come. I want to say that again. If you and I fail at these facts, death will come. There'll be death for those who are lost There'll be an eternal death in a place called hell. It'll be a death for a church. Because when a church loses her passion for lost and unchurched people, the spirit of the church dies. It'll be death for us as individual Christians if we don't get our hands around and embrace these truths. Because to not understand these truths means that we're going to have our fellowship with Christ messed up. If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's Word as we pick up in verses 12, 13, and then we'll read verses 21 and 22. Listen and follow along intently. This is not only the Word of God as recorded in the Bible. This is also the words of Jesus. If you have a red print edition, it's all in red. Jesus says, verse Verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Scoot down to verse 21. Jesus is still speaking, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take your words today and your message today. I pray that you will so implant it in our hearts that you will break through any hard heart, any cold heart, any lost heart, any estranged heart. And you will draw us to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Without hesitation, I want to declare something to you this morning. A day of reckoning is coming. A day of judgment is coming. It will be a time when you stand and I stand before the Lord Jesus. And give an account, and give an account for our lives. When you stand before Jesus one day, when I stand before Jesus one day, you will not, I will not, be able to debate him, change his mind, or talk him out of what he's about to do. When that day comes, only the facts will matter. Just like today in our system of jurisprudence, you go to court. When you go to court, your opinion doesn't matter. When you go to court, what you think doesn't matter. When you go to court, what you want doesn't really matter. When you go to court, only the facts matter. Years ago, there was a, there was a TV series entitled Dragnet. How many times have we heard that guy say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. So today, here five foundational facts from God's Word. Fact number one, not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is going to be saved. Now, I want to be clear. This isn't my words. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. These are the words that are written in red. This is the way that he's ending this sermon, this Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone is going to be saved. Jesus loves us too much to lie to us. He loves us too much to leave us questioning. And he says, not everyone is going to be saved. There's only going to be, there's only two roads. There's only two gates. There's only two ways. There's only two paths. There's only two choices. And not everybody's going to make the right choice. There is one path that leads to heaven. There is another path that leads to hell. There is one path that leads to life. There's another path that leads to death. There is one path that leads to God, and there is another path that leads away from God. Now, is that resonating with anybody in 21st century America in this room today? Because you see, we have a lie that we believe today, a lie that has crept into our culture and to our church, and that is this. It's called universalism in a big word, but here it is, is that... At the end of time, it's all going to be okay. Because 
We're good, we think good, we have a good heart, we want good, and because we want good, and God is a good God, and He wants good, and He's looking good, so in the end it's going to all be good, and everything's going to be okay. You don't believe that? You see how people respond to death. The problem with that thinking, no matter how pervasive it is, is that it is a lie from the pits of hell. And I want to go this far to say this to you. If it is true that everybody's going to be saved one day, then God the Father owes God the Son an apology. For all the shame, for all the pain, for all the suffering that Jesus went through. But I'm just telling you today, God doesn't owe Jesus an apology because Jesus came to pay a price that had to be paid because the Scripture teaches us that not everyone's going to be saved. Now, how does that affect those of us who know the Lord? One of the revealing truths about this fact is that if we hear this, And it doesn't bother us. Something is wrong with our heart. We got some stuff down here. I don't even know where it came from. I'm sure Virginia or Sarah, somebody put it down here about the uh, Pregnancy Resource Center Save a Life. On TV... There is a commercial that just drives me bonkers. They have Sarah McLaughlin singing her old 97 song, Angel. And they show all the little animals being treated cruelly and wanting everybody to cry about it. Well, I'm not for animal cruelty, and we need to do something about it. No problem. But what you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to take that same song and start a... uh, uh, a PowerPoint through there and show embryos and little babies and how we kill human beings to stir us up. For you see, folks, when we see things like this, our hearts are touched. We get compassionate. We hurt for the animals. We should hurt for the babies. But are you listening to me? There, there's a hurt that's coming to many people beyond Physical death and beyond abuse, it will, be a, it will be a people who miss heaven and make hell. They'll spend an eternity in eternal punishment, and we remain unmoved. What does that say about us? My opinion is that it says that many of us have redefined our concept of what it means to be lost. We have redefined it into social status. Man, if the guy comes in driving a Lexus wearing a $1,000 suit, surely the blessing of God's on him because he makes so much money. But you let the guy come in in that old rattle trap that's smoking when he pulls in the parking lot and he's got tattered clothes and he comes in, surely he needs Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you. Not everybody's going to be saved. Fact number two. More people are going to be lost than are going to be saved. 
If you look at verses 13 and 14, you know what you find? You find wide, easy, narrow, hard. You find many. You find few. Wow. Many people are going to take the wide road. Many people are going to be lost. Few people are going to take the narrow road. Few people are going to take the hard way. Why is that? Why is it that so few are going to make it to heaven while so many are going to end up eternally lost? And the answer is revealed right here in our text. The way to be lost is easy. The way to hell is paved with good intentions. The way to hell is like sliding down a banister. In fact, I was thinking about it. How could I illustrate this? You don't know this about me because we've not gone since we've been here. But I love to snow ski. I love to snow ski. Get out on those skis and it just... Whew. But you know what I learned, Michael, when I first went snow skiing and I was first learning to ski, having trouble standing up? I was uh, at the top of the slope for the first time. And I was doing something for Deborah, and I had my poles, I stuck them in the ground, and I just turned around and my skis pointed downhill. Can I just tell you something? If you point your skis downhill, you know what you have to do to go? Nothing! And next thing you know, I'm grabbing my poles as I pass them by because I'm, I'm headed downhill. Do you know that is just what it is? What I want to say to us is that many people will be lost because they've got their skis of their life pointed downhill with the culture, downhill with sin, downhill with humanity, downhill with nature. And they're being pulled toward the wide gate. More people will be lost and will be saved because you have to do nothing except stand there to go to hell. Please listen. You can sit on a pew all your life and do nothing. And you may find yourself at the judgment seat not where you want to be. Not everyone's going to be saved. More people are going to be lost than are going to be saved. These are two horrific facts. But these facts pale in comparison to the third thing Jesus teaches here. When I even say this, I'll just tell you this. It is this third fact that keeps me from giving up on the local church in 21st century America. Because there's so much work to be done. It is this. Many people expecting to be saved are going to be lost. Many people expecting to go to heaven are going to be eternally lost. Verses 21 through 23 paint this picture so clearly. If you're looking in your Bible, verse 21 says, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I want to pause there. Many people think Jesus is talking about out there in the time of judgment, and certainly on verse 22 he says on that day. But here's what I'm telling you in verse 21. Not everyone who comes and, and gets baptized, not everyone who comes to the front of the church, not everyone who simply prays a prayer, not everyone who sits a pew, not everyone who's going to be, not everyone who is... Uh, uh, who, who gives uh, money, not everyone who says, Lord, I'm yours. Man, it, look what he says, but only those who do the will of the Father. By the way, let me just pause here. You know what this is telling me? It's telling me that, that people who expect, people who sit the pew, people who expect to be saved in that last hour are going to find themselves lost and lost forever, lost for eternity in a place called hell. You know what that means? That means some Catholics are going to hell. That means some Methodists are going to hell. That means some Presbyterians, some, some Pentecostal, some Assembly of God, some Nazarenes are going to hell. It even means some Baptists are going to hell. Somebody told me one time, Brother Jerry, you're so narrow-minded. The only people you think going to go to hell are Baptists. And I said, buddy, hold your water. You're, you're wrong. I'm more narrow-minded than that. I don't think all Baptists are going to make it. You see, folks, many people, when they come under the microscopic inspection of the Heavenly Father, they're going to hear those dreaded words. According to the word of Jesus, they're going to hear those dreaded words. Depart from me. I never knew you. How does that happen? As I was thinking and praying through this text and this message two weeks ago, that question permeated my mind. Why is it that so many people expecting to be saved will be eternally lost? I mean, we have such great resources to tell us what it means to be saved, to tell us how to trust Jesus, to tell us how to come to Christ, to, to lay out what He expects. What is it? Could one reason be that in point of fact in our church culture, not in that culture, in our church culture, that we have dismissed the concept of being lost? Could we have dismissed the concept that without Jesus in our lives, Leading us daily, we have no hope of eternity. Without Jesus, we face a Christless eternity. We face a place called hell. Could it be in this culture of we want it all, got it all, got to have it all, keep it all? In this age of affluence, could it be the tr- could the truth really be that we have trouble admitting that eternally we are helpless, we are hopeless, we are broken, we are condemned? I mean, let me tell you what the prevailing attitude is from this side of the pulpit. When the preacher seeks to point out sin. 
People come and say, well, what about you? What about this sin? What about that sin? Instead of wearing it when it's theirs. And when you deflect it, all you do is don't deal with it in your life. I submit that in, in, in the American culture that we put our trust in other things other than Jesus. We put, ourselves, we put our trust in the church. Man, I've been at that church since it started. Whoopee. Does that mean if you had been in a barn since it started, since it was built, you're a cow? Man, you don't understand. I have, I, I give to the church and I give big. Whoopee. It is true that God's work needs money. It is equally true that God tells you and me to give of our resources, just like we did this. But that's not going to buy our way into heaven. You, you don't understand all the things that I've done. And, and I'm going to tell you, I talked to the church Wednesday night about it. We've got to do something about scheduling around here. And some of you folks sitting out here today have got to take on some responsibility in this church. Because Let me just give you, I'm going to call his name. Three weeks ago, it came to my attention. I said, you know, I've not seen Rodney Stevens in a worship service. And I've told him this, so I'm not picking behind his back. I told him I was using him as an illustration. We got several others that, that I know is the same way. I said, I've not seen Rodney Stevens in worship service in, t- in a while. And the person I was talking to said, do you know why? And I said, no. He said, let me tell you what Rodney was scheduled to do this morning during the morning service. He was scheduled to count. He was scheduled to walk security. And he was scheduled to do the nursery. Brothers and sisters, that's wrong. And while you're back there doing this, yeah, that's wrong. Are you volunteering? Are you on one of those lists? Here's what's going to happen. We're going to finally wind up where we're not doing everything that we need to do because so many people are sitting on their blessed assurance and they're not serving the Lord. That's for free. It's not even part of the service. But it's wrong. Some of us think our activities, some think our service, some think so many things. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Until, as we will talk about tonight, until you have been delivered by the power of Christ, transformed by the power of Christ, and redeemed by the power of Christ, and you serve Him through the power of Christ, there is no change in your life. People who say, I'm walking with Christ, don't even pick up His Word daily, cannot, you cannot get them to pray, you cannot get them to, to share their faith. They don't really have an understanding of what it means to surrender to the Christ who died for them. You know what God wants? He doesn't just desire it. He demands it. You know what He, he, come, he wants to bring us to? He wants to bring us to the point that we know Him and we fellowship with Him, likened unto Adam and Eve before the fall in the garden. He wants us to have oneness with Him. He wants us to have innocent intimacy with Him. He, he wants us to, to walk with Him personally, daily. So I ask you, have you met Jesus? Have you really met Jesus? Has He changed your life? If He's not changed your appetite, if He's not changed your habits, He may have had to change your friends. He's had to change what you do. He had to change your value system. He had to change who you are. If that has not happened to you, chances are you may be part of this crowd right here. Yeah, I'm good. But you don't meet His standard. I'm going to tell you a sad thing from where I stand. It doesn't matter whether it's Huey Town, other churches I pastor, 
churches that I preach at. There are people under the sound of the voice of the gospel. And you know when this is put up here, you know full well this is you. You know full well that if Jesus came back before we said amen, this service, if you didn't do anything, you know that you would be the one expecting to be saved and you would be the one that split hell wide open. And the truth is, the only reason you don't respond is, what would people think? I've been a member, a church member for 35 years. What would people think? I just want to say this to you folks. Please listen, teenagers. I know that's one of the driving forces among the teenage culture. What do my friends think? At this point of your life, it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what you're going to experience if you die apart from Christ. The question is not what does people think. The question is what does God want? Another fact that you can glean from this text and others. Number four, no one is saved after death. How many times have I talked to people that go, Preacher, I'm waiting. I'm just going to wait. I know what I should do, but wait. You know, verse 22, it seems to me when I read verse 22, on that day, in Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, don't you know what we did? Don't you know what we gave? Don't you know how we acted? We prophesied. We cast out demons. We've done mighty works. Don't you know what we've done? We start trying to debate Jesus. You can try to debate him afterward, but the truth is he's not going to change your mind. You know why? Because the Bible in Hebrews 9 tells us it's appointed to man wants to die. It doesn't say after that a decision, after that a possibility, after that a review. What it says is after that judgment. When I was in college, you could take courses that we called audit. Some of you will remember that from your college days. At the end of that course, you got a pass or a fail or a check or a minus. Or you got a, uh, um, or you got some other mark that said you completed it or you didn't complete it. And when the course was done, whatever they put on your transcript, guess what? It was there forever. You see, when you, when you bid this world goodbye and you take your last breath, your record is sealed. Clay McLean wrote an old song, and I'll not sing it because it's such an old style, but I love the words. He said, I got up on Sunday morning went to the church at 10 and listened to the words I've heard time and time again. The preacher spoke of sinful lives, and it seemed he spoke of mine. But I was young. I had plenty of time. Plenty of time to decide where I'm bound to eternal darkness or to a heavenly crown. I'm just a young man, not yet in my prime. I'll wait. I've got plenty of time. Song builds and it comes to the last verse. He goes, before I knew what happened. And teenagers, you look at Brother Jerry and you go, oh, that's an old man. Listen, I'm going to tell you what, yesterday I was your age. Before I knew what happened. My life had passed away. Now millions stand before God's throne. It's judgment day. 
Eternal darkness beckons and the name it calls is mine. But I thought I had plenty of time. Brothers and sisters, at death, whether you are S saved or L lost, is written indelibly. God doesn't grade on the curve and there is no gray area. Your score is cut and dried. You've got to make a choice now because no one is saved after their death. Some of you are saying, you know, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm, I'm going to have my fun now. And that fun you have, when you do come to Christ, it will haunt you the rest of your life. Every time you think you're getting close to God, Satan's going to pull that back up. Oh, don't you remember this? You're not. You're no count. I'm gonna wait till I have my fun. I'm gonna wait till I'm a little older. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till I'm a little more settled. I'm gonna wait till I get married and bless God, senior adults. I'm gonna wait till I get in a nursing home. My fear, as I stand before you, is the number of people who have all the head knowledge of God but never transfer it to their heart. Miss heaven by 18 inches and they wait too late to trust Christ. The Bible says today is the time. Now is the day. No one's saved after death. That brings us to our last one. This service, this time could be your last chance. Your last opportunity to get it right. It's an interesting day in the church. Was a day not too many years ago when this truth was proclaimed at every service. Today, when you say something like this, you can see the eyes roll. You can hear the inaudible thoughts of there, here we go again, trying to scare us into heaven. I just need to say this to you. If I thought for a second that I could frighten you into receiving Jesus and into heaven, I would do it in a heartbeat. But the point of the fact is, the point of the fact is, is that God, if he's calling you today, don't quench the spirit as Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, quench not the spirit. If he's speaking to you today, you need to respond to him today. When I think about this being your last chance, you know what I'm, you know what I'm reminded of? Remember, I've been, in this, I've been in this congregation for almost nine years. How many times since I've been here have we seen our loved ones just collapse in this service? Before my time, older, longer-term members, you'll remember the day that the Bargers had their heart attacks here. Fortunately, none of those folks died, but they could have just as easy. However, one of the godliest men I ever knew came in one Sunday night, and right out there, I sat beside of him, and he slipped into eternity. He didn't even make it to the road. You see, well, you know what the truth is? 
You are not guaranteed lunch today. I want to say that again. You are not guaranteed lunch today. That kickoff you're waiting for, you may never see it. Daniel 5, Belshazzar was throwing a party, a beer bust. He was having the time of his life. Boy, and he was going on, and God had enough. And he stuck his hand into the party, and he started writing on the wall. And he said, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. Whether you like it or not, the days of your kingdom is, are numbered. And he went on to say, he went on to write on that wall, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You see, God could come into this room right now. He could start writing a message to any one of us on these walls. I'm reminded of Luke 12. We call him the rich fool. God gave him a great harvest, a great increase. And instead of sharing his, in his abundance, he tore down his barns and he built bigger barns and he filled them. He had everything this life wants, just like most of us do. And he threw a party and he said, let's eat, drink, and be merry. And God came to him. He said, okay, buddy, that what you want to do? Go for it. I'm afraid that's what he said to us today. Eat, drink, and be merry. Because you know what? This night your soul is required of you, which means your life ends this day. If you were to face God, if you were to drop dead, and many of us in this room are holding on by a thread, if you were to drop dead in your seat and you met God face to face this minute, would he say, well done? Or would he say, depart from me? The only way you get a well done is to do well in his eyes. Hello? Other than that, and I'll just say this to you, if you sense God speaking to your heart, the Bible tells us that God will not always strive, will not always work with man. There will come a time when he'll withdraw, and this could be your last call. You may, this may be the last time you get to tell God, no. Forty-five years ago when I was a teenager, an evangelist came to our church. Boy, God was all over that evangelist. His name was Mike McMahon. And he told this story. I've told it before. It just fits so well, illustrates the point. They were having revival services at their church. This was a Sunday night service. And this little girl, high school senior, named Sue, she came forward. Didn't know why she came forward. She just sensed God was speaking to her. And as she came forward, they began to counsel her. It was obvious she needed to be saved. God was dealing with her. And when they talked to her, they asked her, was she ready to pray and receive Christ? And she said, no, got too much living to do. But I will come back tomorrow night, and if I still feel this way, we'll talk more. Out the aisle, out the doors, 
into the parking lot, into the car with her friends. A half mile and two minutes later, she was in heaven as they were hit by a train. Brothers and sisters, these are five facts that cannot be ignored, nor can they be changed. And they're God's message to you today. You've heard it. You can no longer plead ignorance. What is God's telling you? Let's pray.